We certainly are seeing more people trying to train their cat to become that adventure cat where they will take them camping. And, and that obviously will increase their risk because they're going to be in places where they wouldn't necessarily, they're probably going to have more outdoor access. And then again, in trailers and places where there's a lot of other people with other pets, we're going to have those increases risk as well. Welcome into the Perfect Your Practice podcast. This is sponsored by Zoetis in partnership with AAFP. I'm Dr. Natalie Marks, and these are bite-sized and snackable pieces of information to help you elevate your feline medicine for your patients, clients, and teams. I'm really excited to have back Dr. Kelly St. Denis. She is a feline specialist and past president of AAFP. We're so glad you're back with us. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Marks. I'm very glad to be back. Wonderful. We're going to talk about today, I think, a question that we've all sort of missed, right, when we're taking histories with a lot of our feline patients. And I think a big myth that I'm excited to bust, and that is, does the indoor cat really exist anymore? (laughs) I know you and I have talked about this uh, quite a bit in the past, but I think the the first thing I want to ask you is, you know, when we're asking history questions, and I think a lot of times we get into these very quick yes or no, is your cat indoors, right? And the client immediately says, of course, yes. Um, But why do we need to change that to an open-ended question? Yes, uh, that's a really good point, is that when we do those yes or no answers, they're just right on the ball with the yes, the cat's indoors. And by asking a question like, what type of outdoor access does your cat have? We're going to get a little more accurate responses. So it's going to take them a moment to pause and think about it. They're not going to just right away say, oh, they don't go outside at all. Then they'll start telling us about maybe the deck access or the catio that they have that they didn't really perceive necessarily was an outdoor space until we really worded it differently. So when we're thinking about these cats that have access to outdoor spaces, um, what why, why do we care? I guess, you know, why, why does that make a big difference when maybe they only are on the catio, you know, 30 minutes a day, or they're only sitting in the backyard, or um, they, they're not thinking about parasite preventatives, because certainly there are many practices, I think, that would, listening, or are probably thinking, I really struggle trying to encourage parasite protection in these, quote-unquote, indoor-only cats. Why do we need to educate these clients about that? I think there's twofold. One of them, as you've already touched on, is the medical risk. So when they're outside, they're going to be at increased risk of infectious disease. It's not to say that a cat that's strictly indoors isn't at risk. We all know that that's still a possibility. And then the other aspect is just the cat's emotional health. So whether they're getting outside, if that's part of their environmental um, life, where they're getting additional time outside, then that's going to actually be part of assessing how they're doing mentally. So you mentioned these medical risks. I want to dive into these a little bit more. So let's talk about these cats that have definitive outdoor time. You mentioned infectious disease. Can we do a little bit deeper dive into the diseases you're talking about so that the people listening can certainly get a better sense of potentially what I might need to test for? Sure. And outdoor exposure means, whether even if it's just in the yard, means they're potentially going to be at risk of picking up fleas. Um, They're going to get exposed to mosquitoes more commonly than they would be indoors. And so they'll be at risk of heartworm if, if they're living in a heartworm endemic area. They'll also be at risk of being exposed to infectious parasites like intestinal parasites. And then, of course, we're also looking at things like feline respiratory disease and panleukopenia and viruses that potentially will put them at risk if there are other cats in the neighborhood that they are then being exposed to. 
And how about the cats, maybe the few and far between, that truly are indoor only? I think a lot of uh, veterinary professionals, at, at least when I first started in practice many years ago, I would think to myself, well, I, I have no idea how that cat would be exposed to some of the things we're protecting. And it made it a little bit harder until I learned um, some of these risks to be able to truly make that authentic recommendation of parasite yeah. prevention year round. Where are these indoor cats getting exposure to the outdoors? Yeah, I call that the mystical indoor cat bubble, right? People think that because they're inside, they're not exposed. But we can be bringing things in on our shoes. So we might step in something outside that can carry in some roundworms, for example, roundworm eggs and fecal matter. But we also know that mosquitoes do come inside. So again, back to that heartworm endemic area, we are at risk even if we're strictly indoors. And then people don't think about fomites, like things like the shoes and the clothing. If they're going, say, to a class and they hang their jacket up on a hook beside a lot of other people's jackets and their family has a pet with fleas, you could actually be bringing fleas home to your cat, even though your cat's never set foot outside. And then the other thing I often think about is when we have service people come in um, to our homes to do things again, they come in with their jackets. And so there's that risk both for them and for us, for our pets. And what about other housemates? So cats that live in a house with dogs or other cats that may ex have exposure definitively sure. the outside, is that a risk as well? Absolutely. So uh, dogs especially, because most dogs will be going outside mm -hmm. at some point or other and for walks and potentially bringing things home. So even if they're on parasite prevention, if they're picking up fleas, they may not immediately be taking care of those with their parasite prevention so they can bring them back into the house. And we are having a major issue now with ticks as well with cats. So we're starting to see more ticks on cats. And that's another way on the dogs and outdoor cats that they can come back into the house to the indoor cat. Yeah, so it sounds like there's quite a few risks out here that we're, we're talking about, even for those, the mystical indoor <laughs> cat bubble uh, that certainly we all, we all kind of um, have thought about in, in, at one point or another. But I think now that we know this, I'd like to explore a little bit more some other questions we can ask during a history um, besides, you know, how does your cat experience the outside that might get us a little bit more narrowed down of these risks. For example, for me, I know one of the things I always ask is, is there a dog in the home or mm -hmm. other cats? Because yeah. I often will see you know, maybe the family only has one cat on file. And then when I ask about the other family members, oh, I have six other cats that live outside and <laughs> I've never right? seen them <laughs> and didn't know they existed. But obviously there's exposure. So what are some other really good open-ended history questions we can be asking at these wellness exams to get a better better sense of the, the risks environmentally for these cats? I do like to try and ask people about the space that they live in, both inside and out, uh, you know, what the yards are like, for example, if they have, if they back onto a ravine, if there's deer, so we're going to start to see more increased risk of ticks, for example. But one of my favorite things to ask about is whether they live in apartment buildings. We don't always think about asking that, but in an apartment building, that's the perfect setting for fleas just going from place to place throughout, throughout the building. And more than once in my career, I've had cats that have had fleas that we didn't understand why, but it had to do with the fact that there was a cat or dog down the hall that also had fleas. Yeah, I've had that too. In downtown Chicago, there's a lot of high-rise cats um, that 
their exercise is opening the door and letting them run up and down the yeah, hall, right? Yeah. Great and, source. Yes, and we had a lot of transfers, um, flea summer parties, we called them, that were, were doing a lot of infections. Um, I was going to ask you, though, what about travel today? Are you finding more clients that are traveling with their cats or taking road trips with their cats? And what do you think about that as a risk? We certainly are seeing more people trying to train their cat to become that adventure cat where they will take them camping. And and that obviously will increase their risk because they're going to be in places where they wouldn't necessarily, they're probably going to have more outdoor access. And then again, in trailers and places where there's a lot of other people with other pets, we're going to have those increases risk as well. Yeah. So lots of things to consider. And sure. I think the consensus between the two of us certainly is we need to stop those yes or no questions <laughs> and be a little more curious, right, yeah. about where that cat might have outdoor risk. But now that we know that the majority of our cats are probably exposed to the outdoors, if not all of them, how does that change the recommendations that we're making at a standard wellness exam? So let's start with vaccine recommendations. How would that change what you're discussing with the client? Well, certainly with vaccine recommendations, if we can establish that the cat doesn't have any outdoor access at all, is not exposed to other cats, um, then we can certainly make some recommendations for indoor cat vaccines where we're just looking at FVRCP and they probably don't need feline leukemia virus or they will need rabies depending on where we live, um, if it's at risk and also depending on local regulations. But again, when we start having outdoor access, depending on what kind of access that is, if there are, are potential for interacting with other cats, then we need to consider that as a risk for things like feline leukemia virus. And I also want to talk about parasites. Yes. Because I think that's a big one that we as veterinary professionals um, maybe gloss over mm -hmm. a little bit yep. with our kitten and, and adult cat wellness exams. And I think CAPC in 2021 reported that one in 20 cats were positive for roundworms, which blew my mind. Because mm -hmm. when you think about one in 20 cats, that's several cats you're seeing each week. Yes. Right. Yeah. That are positive for roundworms in most practices. Right. So how does that change your testing recommendations mm -hmm. and then also your prevention recommendations? Well, we're certainly going to try and get some fecal testing done, but if we're doing traditional flotations or even uh, centrifugal flotation type techniques, we're going to need to be aware that those can have some low sensitivity. So we might get negative reports when there is, in fact, something there. So sometimes it's a good idea to consider parasite prevention in general if there's going to be risks. We have additional tests available now in labs, uh, copper antigen testing that are more sensitive. So if we're going to do those, we may be able to use those tests and find that they're negative and be comfortable not treating that cat. But otherwise, generally speaking with my patients, I'll recommend that they be on prevention on a routine basis. Uh, and I often consider the fact that if they're in a heartworm endemic area, that just makes sense to me because I, heartworm is so difficult to diagnose in cats that prevention is, is what makes sense for them. And that usually ends up covering them for fleas and other parasites too. Absolutely. You know, before we wrap, wrap up today, I think the, one of the questions that we receive a lot of times from the PYP community is, I believe in fecals, but it is so challenging to get my clients to understand why they have to bring in a stool sample every year, again, for that quote-unquote mystical indoor cat, <laughs> right? Yeah. What are some tips that you can give to the veterinary teams listing that help you educate and, and just kind of encourage clients to understand the value of that fecal sample? 
Yeah, that's that, that can be a challenging uh, one for sure. And I think when they're looking at that, if they're encouraging people to bring them in on a routine basis and just making it a part of that regular routine, so that's that's important. But also learning and expressing to the caregivers that how we what we diagnose in those fecals will impact what we treat with, right? So even though we are we might be using preventions, we may find other things that need or require treatment that we would otherwise miss that are going to impact that cat's health. Yeah. And I also um, like to bring up if it is a zoonotic parasite, of course, yes. the risk to the yeah. humans. We, we have so many more families living with immune suppression or going through therapy that yeah, that does put them at more risk of, of transmission. So I think that's all those factors are very important. Thank you so much. We talked a lot on this podcast about um, are indoor cats really out there? And while I think a few still do exist, the majority of our feline patients that we're seeing have some outdoor risk exposure, whether it's directly or indirectly from a lot of the scenarios we mentioned. So such great tips, feedback, and recommendations from Dr. Kelly St. Denis, feline specialist and past president of AAFP, obviously a big proponent of cat-friendly practices and practitioners. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. I'm Dr. Natalie Marks. Thanks again for listening to the Perfect Your Practice podcast sponsored by Zoetis and powered by AAFP. We'll see you next time.